from the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. Hello and welcome to online version number 17 of Grapevine. Officially entitled Volume 40, number 29, and recorded on the 17th of July 2020. In this week's news, could it really have been an earthquake which shook Galston last week? Was it really a hand grenade which a litter picker found? Is eating out, now once again allowed, going to be anything like normal? The answer to these and many other questions will be presented to you during the course of this week's offering. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me from home is this week's newsreader, Margaret, who's joined by another Margaret, Julie, and, as promised last week, our Dusty. However, we get underway with the first part of the news. Hello, everybody. I'm Margaret, and I'm going to take you through the news from the Great Yarmouth Mercury this week, some stories from guest presenters, and my meandering through the Mercury of June 1966. But I leave the proper announcing to Graham, as he does it so much better than I can do. So, if you're sitting comfortably, then I'll begin with the first part of the news. I thought my house was going to collapse. Tremor sparks alarm in Galston. A tremor that caused houses to shake has been felt across parts of Galston. Residents reported feeling something like an earthquake at around 9.30pm on Monday, July the 13th. The movement was felt around the Riverside Road, Suffield Road, Cliff Hill and High Road areas at various intensities and was said to go on for around three seconds. A spokesman for Peel Ports, which operates Great Yarmouth's Outer Harbour, said it related to the activities of a third party on its site, which it was investigating. Many people took to Facebook to complain about the incident, with some saying it was strong enough to wobble walls. Paul Treadwell in the Beach Road area said it happened several times this year. He said he understood it was to do with activity at the Outer Harbour, although a company involved in oil platform decommissioning told the Mercury there was no work going on at that time. Basically, for our house in Galston, shakes like an earthquake would feel, I guess. He said it had taken up issue with the Great Yarmouth MP Brandon Lewis and reported it to the Council's Environmental Health Department. He added, I'm very concerned that if this practice continues, it could seriously undermine my property, but also the integrity of the river walls and other structures of importance to the area. I'm sure it would be classed as seismic activity if monitored. Meanwhile, in Suffield Road, Diana Wetherill said her whole bedroom wall wobbled like a piece of plastic. I felt my bed was going to buckle, like a wobble feeling. It was very scary. I thought my house was going to collapse. People also reported wardrobes and settees shaking, triggering worries about the damage any vibrations could do to homes. Gary Wells in Cliff Hill said he also felt a small tremor accompanied by the sound of falling metal. It tripped the electric off once, he added. 
Glenn Ford, a scientist with the British Geological Survey, said there was no evidence of a seismic disturbance detected by the BGS seismograph network in the area at the time. Brandon Lewis said he was aware of the concerns raised about work being undertaken at the port and had made contact with the operator to highlight them. My word, what strange goings on in good old Galston. Hole cut in fence after two attempted break-ins at RAF base. Police are investigating and stepping up patrols after an attempted burglary at an air cadet base. Great Yarmouth's RAF 221 Squadron Air Cadets on Suffolk Road in Galston was the site of two attempted break-ins between Thursday the 9th and Saturday the 11th, with Norfolk Police confirming they will be visiting the unit to make further inquiries. In a Facebook post, the Armed Forces Unit said, There have been two attempts at gaining access to the site. On Thursday night, someone had been very busy cutting fences towards the rear of the grounds. This was reported to the police and the area secured. But on Saturday afternoon, we found a new hole in the grounds that wasn't there that morning. This again has been reported to the police and secured. But while the post added that police and staff of the squadron will be patrolling the area, a plea was made that members of the public should keep an eye on the site. East Norfolk College celebrates after success at award ceremony. A school on the coast is celebrating after a double success of scooping up three accolades at the annual BTEC Awards and also winning recognition from the Arts Council. East Norfolk Sixth Form College won three prizes at the UEA BTEC Stars of the East Awards 2020. Terry Kemp, named BTEC Teacher of the Year, had been nominated by a student who described her as an incredible teacher who goes above and beyond for her students. Student Jasmine Honour was named Sports Learner of the Year and fellow student Abigail Bell was named runner-up in the same category. Jasmine was nominated by curriculum team leader for sport, Chris Duffy, who said, Jasmine is an exceptional learner who has worked incredibly hard on the BTEC National Extended Diploma in Sport for the last two years. Jasmine is a role model to her peers and will always offer help and advice should they need it. Her work is detailed, completed well in advance of deadlines and generally is the standard of a university student. In lessons, she is always fully focused, enthusiastic and completes tasks well ahead of her peers. Her desire to continuously improve is perhaps her most impressive trait and certainly something that has helped her to reach the level she has, Mr Duffy said. Jasmine said, I'm delighted to have won BTEC Sport Learner of the Year. I have thoroughly enjoyed studying at East Norfolk and it has given me the confidence to continue on to do a sport degree, which I'm looking forward to starting in September. Thank you to all of my teachers, Chris, Pauline, Ryan and Jamie for two wonderful years. Meanwhile, the Arts Mark Award is the only creative quality standard for schools and education settings 
accredited by Arts Council England, supporting them to develop and celebrate their commitment to arts and cultural education. A statement from the Arts Council praised the College for acting as an arts hub for your wider community, providing a wide range of arts activities for children and young people in your area and working with key arts organisations in the region. Hand grenade discovered by litter picker confirmed as a plastic dummy. A hand grenade found by litter picker in Great Yarmouth yesterday has been confirmed as a plastic dummy. Colchester Bomb Squad headed to Lord's Lane in Great Yarmouth on Saturday the 11th after an unwitting litter picker discovered a hand grenade with a pin still in place, with police closing off the area as a precaution. But according to Norfolk Constabulary, this has been established as a training grenade or dummy. This means there was no alive material inside and no risk of explosion. Police have confirmed that the grenade was found by a litter picker on Lord's Lane in the undergrowth beneath a grass verge and that bomb squad units from Colchester came to assess the situation before any further action was taken. The inspector on duty said, this time it was fairly innocuous, which is fortunate. The van from Colchester arrived at the scene, assessed the risk and simply took the object away. Local pupils cyber skills win national online challenge. A team of pupils are celebrating after their cyber skills saw them win a national online challenge at the first time of asking. Four Year 8 students from Ormiston Venture Academy in Galston took part in the National Unlock Cyber Challenge, winning first place out of 120 students. The competition, organised by Unlock Cyber and powered by Immersive Labs, tests student cyber skills and puts their computer science knowledge to the test. This was the first time Ormiston Venture Academy had entered the competition, but that didn't stop the team of Megan Beals, Lily Bennett, Bethany Cooper and Domit Dugos taking the crown. Bethany said, the different tasks had a range of skills needed so by working in a group, we were able to combine our own skills and work through the tasks together. Owen Cooper, teacher of computer science at Ormiston Venture Academy said, I'm so proud of how they work together to answer these difficult tasks and compete when I know they were extremely nervous. Warning lack of power could hamper plans for electric vehicle points in rural Norfolk. A warning has been issued that charging points for electric vehicles could be scrapped from housing schemes in rural Norfolk because electricity grids could struggle to cope. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps said earlier this year that he wants electrical vehicles to become the new normal as he announced £10 million to install charge points on residential streets across the country. But Norwich-based property and construction consultancy Ingleton Wood has warned that the energy grid grids in some parts of Norfolk are close to capacity 
and would need upgrading if plug-in electric vehicle charging points are to be included in new sustainable housing developments. Home charging stations are regarded as key for a greener future, as most electric vehicle owners are expected to charge at home rather than at supermarkets or on motorways. While it is currently not mandatory for electric vehicle charging points to be built at new homes, Ingleton Wood, which advises property developments, expects demand to grow for widespread take-up as the vehicles become increasingly attractive. But Kevin Laws, Principal Engineer at Ingleton Wood's Building Services team in Norwich, warned the cost of upgrading the energy grid could act as barrier in some rural areas. He said costs could vary from £20,000 to £100,000 for a typical 15-home rural development, split between developers and network operators which run the electricity grids. He said, while it makes great sense to plan ahead now and allow people to charge their electric vehicles at new housing developments, there are infrastructure obstacles that need to be overcome. At the same time, unfortunately, the huge costs to upgrade the power grid is making some developments potentially commercially unviable. This means that electric vehicle charging points are at risk of not being installed at the development, or the development itself is at risk of being scrapped. We're being caught in some tricky catch-22 situations. Concerns over the lack of electricity capacity in some parts of the county were raised by county councillors last year, with the need for new electricity substations need to be built in some areas. Thanks, Margaret. More news shortly, but first let's hear from the other Margaret with memories of Gorston's now lost swimming pool. Due to social distancing, Margaret too, Julie and Dusty were recorded outside and so we apologise for the background chatter on the recordings. Well, hello again, everybody. And today I'd like to do another bit of reminiscing, this time thinking back to those years after World War II, when so many of us who were children at that time spent much of those lovely long summer holidays swimming, either in the Galston Pool or in the sea, which was very different to the pool, or maybe some days in both. For in spite of the post-war austerities, which affected us all to some degree, Goulston in the 40s and 50s was a wonderful place to be a child and to grow up. We were lucky to have a lovely outdoor, unheated, but more about that later, swimming pool. Of course Yarmouth had an excellent one too, Olympic size I believe, which hosted galas and various events. But today I'm thinking about Goulston. So, before World War II, there had been a bandstand on the site, which would later be the pool. And now, sadly, the pool is no more, there's another bandstand. What goes around, comes around, they say. I don't know exactly when the pool was built, 
but my very earliest memories of it go back to about 1947, when I was too tiny to take in much about the actual pool itself, but I loved the two little pools, which were just outside what I later discovered was a shower block. Whether they were meant to be foot baths or paddling pools, I have no idea, but to me they were the little beaches and whoever was with me would whip off my socks and sandals so that I could splash about in them. However, the main pool was a good size and the shallow end was three foot six inches deep. No metric measurements in those days, you notice. And it was nine foot six deep at the deep end. Needless to say, the grown-ups always reminded us to stay clear of the deep end and as non-swimmers we did keep away. And I never actually remember any attendants or lifeguards being around, and I certainly never remember any child coming to harm. I suppose we all looked out for each other. But those diving boards at the deep end seemed full of mystery and challenge. There was a low springboard, too much higher boards, and beside them a water chute and once we could swim, we made good use of that. On both sides of the pool, there were wide, grassy areas, and on the many fine days, which we always seemed to have back then, of course, they would be full of deck chairs, crowded with spectators. Whole families would often be there for the day, parents and grandparents sitting in the sun, while the children and the younger people swam and larked about. Many brought flasks, sandwiches and cakes. But if not, you could always buy refreshments from the cafe which bordered on the promenade. As well as the pool, it served customers on the promenade itself. And at busy times, the harassed staff were trying to deal with people on both sides and finding it a bit of a challenge sometimes. I remember that if the grown-ups were about, the occasional request for a a fizzy drink was met with the dreaded but well-meant words, no, you're having an ice cream, it will do you more good. Sadly, not music to a child's ears. But things were very busy, and came the day when at the age of about five, I got separated from the family. This disturbed me not at all, really, and as I knew the way quite well, I set off for home, which was near the old Green Ace garage. Do any of you remember that, I wonder? However, since I was obviously too young to be out alone, I was taken by two kind people and ended up in Galston Police Station, where Mum soon collected me. I was quite content in one of the police houses, playing with some puppies and eating a jam tart. Naturally, Mum was relieved. I was quite happy and no harm was done. Galston was a very safe place to be a child in those days and I had learnt that the police were friends if you were good and not people to be afraid of. A valuable lesson. But back to the swimming pool. At the other end, nearer the river, was a building which is now known as the Ocean Rooms but was then called the Floral Hall and it was a fascinating place to us. And so a typical day during the summer holidays often meant the pool in the morning and maybe sandcastles on the beach in the afternoon or the other way round. How lucky we were. Entry to the pool was about fourpence in the old money 
unless you were lucky enough to have a season ticket, which I think was seven and six, and that would be about 40p in today's money. And for that, you could swim or just watch for as long as you liked. There were no time limits and very little that was forbidden as long as you behaved. Every morning the temperature of the water was checked and displayed on a blackboard just inside the entrance. The lowest I can ever remember was 57 degrees and that was very cold indeed. But it never put us off. After all, we went in nearly every day and only sissies made a fuss and lost face. You collected a basket and changed in a cubicle and had to remember the number on the basket. There were no armbands or badges to remind you, but it never occurred to those in charge that children especially, but not always, could be relied upon to forget the number. And when that happened, there was much fuss and palaver, as they used to say, and you had to slink in sheepishly to identify your clothes and then slink out again. Much hilarity from the other children. Once you were ready, it was into the shallow end to start with, but when you could swim, it was a different story, and venturing into the big end was a real rite of passage. Diving in from the poolside and the springboard led to venturing up onto the high boards, and the top one felt very high indeed. But once up there, with much gritting of teeth and plucking up of courage, I would jump off. It was vital to keep your feet together and your hands close to your sides, and you would touch the bottom and then fly up like a cork out of a bottle. I could do that, but could never nerve myself to dive off head first. Just couldn't do that. The other great thrill was the water chute, and yours truly got into serious trouble from Mum for wearing out the seat of my bathing costume. And so I solved that problem by going down head first, which was even more fun. Once you'd had enough, located your clothes and changed, the floral hall usually beckoned. But before going in, we'd often climb up all the steps at the side and go right up onto the balcony which overlooked the pool and the beach. And needless to say, we were highly amused when some of the older people moaned about the steps. But after that, we'd all go into the floral hall itself. Nobody asked for tickets, we just went in and out, and there was always something happening. In the mornings, a brilliant organist called Eddie Gates, who is blind, would play and take requests. Later, there would be old-time dancing. We children all learnt to do the Valita, the barn dance, the waltz, the Gay Gordons, and other popular dances. But as far as I can recall, there was no age barrier. There would be smart, dignified, middle-aged folk on the dance floor and all ages right through to us children joining in. And as long as we behaved, we seemed welcome. And actually, it was a great way to learn manners and proper behaviour, as well as having fun. And in the evenings, when we would be with the family, there were shows of various kinds in there, all sorts of entertainments that we would go to occasionally. But sometimes we would go across to the summer show over the road at our beloved Pavilion Theatre. School friends, neighbours, children, relations, we all met at the pool. In 1950, one of my older sisters came to be with us for three weeks. She took over my bedroom. But that was no problem because I always stayed with my grandparents during the summer holidays. 
She was a teenager, I was seven, and at that time neither of us could swim. So our dad decided to take matters in hand and teach us both. And in fairness, he was doing an excellent job and the weather was wonderful. But at the end of the time, I could swim, self-important little horror, and Rosemary couldn't. To my knowledge, she never did learn, but it was such a happy time and it was over all too soon. One thing puzzled me though, Dad had certainly been a fine swimmer in his day, but when it came to diving, even off the low springboard, there were endless excuses. I said nothing. Gradually, of course, though, things had to change. And quite a lot of the time, I thoroughly enjoyed keeping an eye on the younger children and even taught some of them to swim myself. But there was never any shortage of summer jobs. <laughs> and as the whole area thronged with visitors, the holiday camp, hotels and boarding houses were always full to capacity during the peak weeks. It was a big change to have a summer job, meeting new people, facing challenges, dealing with the public. And as times were still hard, that bit of extra income gave us independence and valuable lessons in managing money. My mother saw to that, and I've been forever grateful to her. And as times change, I believe that for a while they tried hard to save the Galston pool, opening in the evenings, and of course ballroom dancing in the floral hall, but the end was in sight. The floral hall became the ocean rooms, and the site of the pool is now a garden area, with another bandstand. But they were happy days, and of course we still have our wonderful old pavilion theatre. Long may it remain. Thank you all for listening. Sunny. Well, yesterday my life was filled with rain. Sunny. You smile at me and really ease the pain. Oh, the dark days are done. The bright days are here. My sun and one shine so sincere. Sunny one so true. I love you. people will remember almost certainly with a shiver both the Goulston and Yarmouth pools. Now though we welcome back to Grapevine, Julie. Hello it's Julie here. I haven't spoken to you for a long time. Um, I'm just going to read a, a little poem which is following on from Margaret's um, lovely thing about the swimming pool and it's called Summertime Fun. Summertime begins again. What will it bring? The first glimpse of the sun proclaims end of spring. Here come the donkeys, each wearing a saddle. Was kiddies can't wait to go for a paddle. Cozzies and sunblock are all vital kit, together with blankets on which to sit. 
sanding our sarnies and salting our hair. Grumpy old grand moans, it's too much to bear. A sandcastle is built, but must have a moat, and out of a cart and we fashion a boat. Look, Dad, it's finished! But he's not surprised. We've made it top heady, so it's straightway capsized. Hey, the punching Judy man, great he's come back, with his puppets, sausages and big sticks to whack. From his small fabric theatre, old tales he tells, as traditional now as fish and chip smells. Gran's even grumpier now. She needs her tea. Mum yells, Quick, get your last dip before she eats me. Changed behind towels, we put dry clothes on. Gran shuffles ahead. Her swift days are gone. Once on the prom, we put on our shoes. Gosh, look at the clock. We've no time to lose. Or reflect as we bundle our gear in the car. We can come back tomorrow. How lucky we are. Well, now I'm going to tell you about a train journey and this is something I wrote and it's called Brief Encounters. What is it about a train journey that brings out the real person? I have just changed yet again, but this time onto a small metro-style shuttle with little seating but lots of overhead grab rails. Now late on a September evening, it's a long way from Great Yarmouth, Norfolk and I am just 45 minutes from my final destination, Brighouse, Yorkshire. Picture the scene. 14 people of various shapes and sizes, all tired after a day's labour, crammed in an extremely small airless space, of which nine are busy on their communicators, three of us are avoiding eye contact, and two young people in their 20s who think they are God's gift to the world. Meet Mr Universe, raggedly handsome, smooth-skinned, blue eyes and coiffured dark brown bun. Decked out in immaculate clothing, extremely posh brown leather trendy shoes hanging on the end of long thin legs draped in navy linen. His crisp white shirt open at the neck revealing a very tanned torso. Mrs Universe, drop-dead gorgeous, elegantly slender, in contrast casually clad. She appears to have ascended very recently from Harrod's gym department window. Blue-grey trainers match her designer lycra, gathering all in so tightly I discussed with myself how breathing was actually possible. Long, straight, expertly cut, auburn tresses constantly swishing around in a ponytail, much to the aggravation of a fellow passenger standing behind her. Their obnoxious conversation is loud, boring, theatrical, and accompanied by accentuated rustling and tearing sounds of various packages containing awfully potent edible contents. This, enhanced with hand creams, shaving lotion, perfume, etc., flamboyantly applied, ensuring, of course, that the posh labels were clearly visible, caused breathing difficulties and choking for the rest of us. Whilst we endeavoured to ignore their antics, they achieved their aim of becoming the centre of attention by sprawling on the only floor space available, surrounded by kit. 
mating, exiting the area nigh on impossible. Folk clambered over obstacles strewn carelessly, dangerously and selfishly around. Although all were so grateful to escape, no complaints were uttered. Great sighs and derogatory comments from the reigning assembled company followed when they eventually left the stage. Enter one middle-aged, unshaven, beer-bellied man, not content with standing directly in front of me, which to be fair he didn't have a choice, but instead of following the example of others, holding the bar provided with one hand, thus standing sideways, he grasped it with both hands facing me. Well, actually it was his rather grubby, bulging, jeaned manhood which was in my direct line of sight. It would appear also that he was unaware that showers had been invented and I almost wished the universe is back. Catapulted into a quandary. An animal would play dead, faced with an uncomfortable situation, but I decided this was a bit OTT. Solution. Pretend sleep. Worked well. Except, sadly, unsure how many stations prior to my departure, the only sensible option was peeping each time the engine tone changed before slowing down. Endeavouring secretly, I thought, to recognise landscape, but of course, he sussed. Hooray! The fetid gent delighted together with several others, taking his aroma with him. Phew, what a relief. Seats became available. Sitting back, unencumbered, I became aware of a wiry, leftover hippie character, now beside me, but not directly. Poor fellow. Obviously had some kind of nervous, lower limb twitching affliction. Then arms began waving, accompanied later by an irregular nodding head. Was he about to launch into a seizure? I had a quick mental swat up on correct medical procedure. All totally unnecessary, it transpired, as he folded down his collar, revealing the minutest of earphones. Goodness, only knows what kind of beat was going on in there. By this time, I am anxiously wondering if Mr. Crotch had caused me to miss Brighouse altogether. Thankfully, no. Signage came into view. The train halts. Like a cheater, I zoom out of the carriage onto the platform, stretching, deeply breathing fresh air. Adopting a deliberate gait, emulating someone who knows where they are going. Always a good ploy for a girl alone. It's called kidology. Striding off across the busy car park, avoiding potholes and puddles, over a zebra crossing, down a hill. It's all hills here. Yippee! Yes, there it is. In the distance, I espy my hotel. After now over seven and a half hours since the commencement of my uneventful journey until its final leg, I have arrived. Oh yes, please, waiter. I would care for a glass of wine. Thank you. I felt I really deserved it. What do you think? Cheers. Nice to hear Judy again. More news, I think. So back to Margaret for the second news, following which she takes a look at the Mercury from 1966. A wonderful job. Customers enjoy socially distanced day at Pleasurewood Hills. 
Though Woody Bear couldn't make it to the party, there were plenty of impressed customers enjoying a day out at Pleasurewood Hills on its second reopening weekend. And despite running admissions at just 15% capacity, the place felt busy on Sunday, July the 12th, with queues building up outside attractions and food stalls all afternoon. The sun helped create a sense of normality as park benches filled up with families, but sanitising stations, two metre distancing markers and one household to a car policy on roller coasters was a reminder that this was definitely a new normal. For sales and marketing manager Andrew Fuller, the support from customers since the July the 4th reopening has been phenomenal. He said, the lockdown hit tourism hard and it was frustrating that hospitality and leisure were lumped together under one category because we run an entirely different show to pubs and restaurants. There's a few close points of contact at the park, such as when you're getting on a ride, but other than that, this is a wide open space where people can keep their distance from one another and still have a lot of fun. He added, staying closed wasn't an option and we'd have opened it earlier if we could. This is peak season for us. Opening weekend was pretty quiet as I think people were reluctant to come out but yesterday was really busy. It's a shame that we've lost our international audiences for the time being, but the support we've had from locals has been greatly appreciated. We've also lost Woody Bear this season because government guidance recommends against costume characters and Woody Bear in particular is a magnet for excited children. Customers, however, were in no mood to complain. One family had ventured from Tackleston for the day and were thrilled to finally be out and doing something. According to Mum Sarah, the park had done a wonderful job of keeping people safe. She said, this is one of our first big days out since lockdown and we've had a lovely time. Every little thing you do now will be somewhat daunting because so much has changed since March but the way staff have been wiping everything down has left us feeling totally at ease. And the same was true for Simon and Jacqueline Clough, who stood waiting for the rest of the family to join them after a spin on Wipeout. Mr Clough said, the queues are short, it's well distanced and the kids are so happy to be back out enjoying themselves once again. A man has been arrested for being drunk and disorderly after throwing a car tyre at a car. Norfolk police were called to Lower Cliff Road in Gorston shortly after 8.30pm on Sunday July the 12th after reports a man was walking along the street throwing a car tyre at a car across Lowestoft Road. Officers arrived on the scene and arrested a man aged in his 20s on suspicion of criminal damage and being drunk and disorderly in a public place. He was taken to Great Yarmouth Police Station for questioning and he has been released under investigation while inquiries continue. At 9pm on Sunday, a woman posted on Facebook about the incident saying that a drunk man was shouting and swearing and going round throwing a car wheel at other cars. 
Movie fans urge to rekindle their love for big screen as lockdown eases. Cinemas hoping to bounce back from the coronavirus pandemic are having an extra tough time as distributors delay premieres, depriving theatres of a summer blockbuster boost. So while they are allowed to open, audiences have been slower than expected to return. In Great Yarmouth, Darren Hodges, manager of the newly refurbished Arc Cinema at the famous Golden Mile, formerly the Royal Aquarium and Royalty, said he was pulling out all the stops to encourage movie fans back into the theatre. He said the, the initial response to reopening had been disappointing, but that there were multiple factors. People, he said, were understandably cautious about the transmission of COVID-19 and had got used to watching what they wanted on demand at home. However, at the ARC, everything was being done to provide a big screen experience in safety and comfort, he said. We feel that for an indoor venue, we are one of the safest with cleaning and queue barriers and PPE. We're trying to create as normal an experience as possible, abiding by social distancing. The staff clean from the moment they come in to the moment they go home, he said. The venue is also looking at ticket prices and picking films from a back catalogue, including those from the Star Wars series, which are best viewed on the big screen. Socially distancing seating is automatically allocated at the point of booking with two seats either side kept free. With films like the latest Bond movie now delayed until December and the release date of Christopher Nolan blockbuster Tenant put back, as well as some movie makers opting to bypass the cinema altogether and release online, he acknowledged the industry faced challenges. However, the cinema, which only reopened in December after a multi-million pound refurbishment, is keen to welcome people back and encourage them to remain loyal and love their local cinema. It is disappointing for myself and the staff when we are coming into work and enjoy engaging with customers and we really like big turnouts, he said. We all want to be busy and return to some sort of normality. We are here and we are open and we want to see the community. Council approves bid to convert barns into houses. A cluster of empty barns on the outskirts of a seaside village could be converted into houses after planners gave the thumbs up. The proposal, approved by Great Yarmouth Borough Council, would see agricultural buildings converted into five residential dwellings and associated infrastructure at Hall Farm on Hall Road, a country lane in Hemsby. A Beckles-based developer is planning to transform one barn into four residential houses, including two three-bedroom units and two four-bedroom units, and a freestanding building into a three-bedroom house. A report by a planning officer says that Hall Farm is made up of traditional single-storey brick outbuildings separated by small courtyards, and a freestanding smaller building as well as other modern buildings grouped around the farmyard. A Grade 1 listed building, owned by Great Yarmouth Preservation Trust, is next to the site, 
while access is at the northern end next to a pond. The planning officer states that the bid is an appropriate reuse of these buildings that would provide five units of family accommodation. Comedy Club to hold virtual event to mark Norfolk Day. While the return of live comedy is still some way off, a Norfolk club will be marking the third annual Norfolk Day with a virtual festival. Featuring stand-up and sketches from Norfolk's finest comedy talent, the Hoomer Comedy Club event will run online throughout Norfolk Day on July the 27th, which has this year been sponsored by Norwich Research Park. Hoomer founder Martin Westgate said, While a lack of live comedy is no laughing matter, we are very quick to take the laughs online and have been posting videos on our Facebook page all through lockdown. Now, after the success of our weekly Sunday Roast Battles, we're going to mark Norfolk Day in style, with a whole day of performances from all of our favourite comedians. Comedy fans will get to enjoy performances from the likes of Trish Dunn, Khan Johnson, Jimmy Rudiger, Nelson Comba Comba, Kiera Jack, and a return for local favourite Normal for Norfolk with specially recorded videos and sketches. To enjoy the Hoomer Comedy Norfolk Day Festival, simply log on to Facebook and go to the Hoomer Comedy Club page www.facebook.com slash Hoomer Comedy. Sea Life Centre is celebrating its birthday with surprises for visitors. Visitors to the Sea Life Centre in Great Yarmouth could be in for a surprise this weekend as the attraction celebrates its 30th birthday. Over Saturday and Sunday, July the 18th and 19th, 30 surprises will be sprung on guests at random as a thank you for supporting the attraction. These will include everything from the adoption of a creature to a free return visit for a family. Free ice creams, coffees and games, including top trumps, will also be distributed among visitors. Sea Life in Great Yarmouth, which recently reopened following the national coronavirus lockdown, said it has extensive measures in place in order to keep staff and guests alike safe. These include online-only bookings, social distancing, PPE for staff, temperature checks on arrival and enhanced cleaning. The site has welcomed over 5 million visitors since it was first opened in July 1990 by aptly named weather presenter Michael Fish. Since then, the centre has been home to over 1,500 aquatic creatures ranging from penguins to crocodiles. Terry Harris, General Manager, said, To show our gratitude as part of our 30th birthday celebrations, we're delighted to offer 30 surprises throughout this weekend as a small token of how much we appreciate the support of our guests, which matters to us more now than ever as we return to normality after the national lockdown. And here 
here we are again. It's Margaret's meandering through the Mercuries of a past age. And the following items have been taken from the Great Yarmouth Mercury of June 1966. The main story on the front page was, Is Holiday Hooliganism Declining? Seafront traders and hoteliers breathed a sigh of relief at Yarmouth this weekend. Their hopes for a good Whitson were realised, and what's more, the sun shone. There were fewer mods and rockers, and they mostly behaved themselves. It is believed that rowdyism, which has sport every bank holiday since 1964, is on the wane, and there were only two arrests. On the subject of the holiday trade again, for your entertainment, you could choose between the Royal Aquarium, where Jerry and the pacemakers were performing, seats nine and sixpence to five shillings, or Terry Scott, Hugh Lloyd and Donald Pierce at the Wellington Pier Theatre, or Frank Ifield at the ABC. The windmill offered bingo with cards at two and sixpence each. Morris Share was a musical entertainment at the Floral Hall, every Tuesday for three and sixpence. The Savoy Hotel on Regent Road was holding dinner dances, 8.30pm to 2am, dancing to Fred Short and his music between courses for the vast sum of 15 and sixpence. Oh, the heady days of the decorous dinner dances. We knew how to live in the 60s. Representatives of Yarmouth Sports Advisory Council are to be invited to the next meeting of the Town Council's Entertainments Committee to discuss the possibility of covering Gorston Swimming Pool. A councillor said if a scheme was considered, he felt they should not think in terms of hundreds of tonnes of steel, but to consult specialists about using alloys and fibreglass. And as we all know now, that wonderful pool was demolished and replaced by a bandstand. And I do believe that the other Margaret, the other magnificent Margaret, has something to say about the old Galston swimming pool, much beloved by me anyway. On now to something quite different. In the Situations Vacant column, I spotted an advert requiring a young man to assist on a bingo stall for £10 per week, while David Griggs in Regent Street wanted young men to train in the retail trade for £5.10 for a 43-hour week, overall supplied. Reminds me of the lovely ham they used to sell, carved off the bone, black and white tiled floors and sawdust scattered behind the counter. If you wanted to spend your money in 1966, Aldred's estate agents were offering a two-bedroom bungalow in Bradwell for £3,250 and a four-bedroom house on Marine Parade in Galston for £6,950. Now from the hit parade, we had Strangers in the Night by Frank Sinatra, Painted Black by the Rolling Stones, Wild Thing by the Trogs and Paperback Writer by the Beatles. Oh, my lost youth. In my head, I'm still a 60s rock chick, but my knees say otherwise. Well, I hope you'll enjoy that, and I hope to bring you some more next time I'm reading. Paperback Writer
Beatles, of course, from 1966. Our last guest for the week up now, and a welcome return to Dusty. Well, hello again, everybody. I was very interested to hear Margaret's description of Galston Swimming Pool. I, too, have so many happy memories of, of being there in my younger days. It was a, a wonderful place to be with your friends and... Um, I, n I think that her description was excellent. The only thing about that is that um, I wasn't brave enough, like she was, to go on the top board or even the middle board and jump, let alone dive. My meagre efforts resulted in belly flops from the side, and that's all I could ever do. But as for afterwards and the ice creams and so on, that was the reward for all of us, I suppose. And um, I was thinking to follow the summertime theme. When I was working at the Elizabethan House Museum, we always knew in the summer seasons where the people were coming from, because we used to have the Scots who would bring their Scottish pound notes and so on, the uh, North Country people who would tell us all about what they were looking forward to, particularly at the seaside, in the evenings, which brings me to think about what Yarmouth would have been like, and probably still is up to a point, in a little poem that I wrote. So let's do this from a, a point of view of a northerner coming to Great Yarmouth, resorting after dark. The lure of lights on summer nights, fish and chips and lucky dips, hotel keys, Please that tease, nightly shows, seats in rows, father's braces, lipstick traces, alleys and cats, kiss me quick apps, seaside brawls, graffiti walls, machine arcades, <laughs> some escapades, candy floss, a place to doss, under piers, pinching rears, up the parks, up to larks. Money lenders, ice cream vendors, market traders, midnight raiders, bingo callers, curbside crawlers, race day punters, fortune hunters, knockout darts and well-known tarts, oh, seafront pubs, sleazy clubs, live pop bands, <laughs> wandering ends, non-stop discs, taking risks, the fancy flight, of summer night. That sort of brings back all the memories of what could be going on in Yarmouth at this very moment if we have enough people there to uh, make it happen. But you know, we remember a lot of these things from the past, but I find that just lately, in particular, I can't remember what I had for dinner yesterday. It's the kind of situation we find ourselves in at the moment, I think. And a friend of mine had the same kind of uh, worry and he said to me, he'd just been diagnosed with something called AAADD, Age Activated Attention Deficit Disorder. And this, he said, is how it manifests itself. Oh boy, can I really equate with this? And I bet some of you can too. 
I decide to water the garden as I turn on the hose. I remember that the car could do being washed. So I turn off the hose and go inside for my car keys. But as I go indoors, I notice the mail on the table that I'd picked up earlier. I decide to go through the mail before I wash my car. I lay the car keys down on the table, put the junk mail in the rubbish bin, and notice that the rubbish bin needs emptying. So, so I lay down the bills back on the table and take out the rubbish first. But then I think that as I'm going to put the rubbish out in the post box at the end of the drive, I might as well pay the bills first. However, I notice that there's only one cheque in the chequebook, so I go inside to the study and find my new chequebook. As I get to the study, I notice a can of drink that has opened. So before I look for my chequebook, I push the can of drink onto the table to stop it being spilt. As the drink is getting warm, I decide best put it in the fridge to keep it cold. As I head for the kitchen, I notice a vase of flowers on the window sill that needs some water. So I set down the drink and suddenly discover my reading glasses that I've been looking for all the morning. I decide I'd better put them back on the desk in the study, but first I'm going to water the flowers. So I set the glasses down again and head for the kitchen to collect the water and suddenly spot the remote control on the kitchen table. I realise that when we go to watch television tonight, I will look for the remote control and will not remember that it is on the kitchen table, so I decide to put it back in the lounge where it belongs. But first I've got to walk the flowers. Fill a jug, head back to the flowers on the windowsill. However, I spill some water as I'm doing this, so I put down the remote control so I can wipe up the water. I then head down the hall, trying to remember what I was going to do. At the end of the day, the garden isn't watered, the car is not washed, the bills didn't get paid, there's a warm can of drink in my study, the flowers on the window still, still haven't got enough water, and there's still only one check in the chequebook. I can't find the remote control. I can't find my reading glasses. And I don't remember what I did with the car keys. Then I try and figure out why nothing got done today. Do you know, I'm really baffled because I know I was busy all day long and I'm really tired. I know I must get some help for this. First, I think I'll just go and check the emails. And I think that sums up so much what we're all doing at the moment. We've got a clue really what we're doing every, uh, at this moment in time, because every day seems to be the same. And whatever we do doesn't make a lot of difference to us, but we just have to keep going. And with that thought in mind, I just take my thoughts back to the hospital, where so often people will ask us to read them perhaps their favourite psalm or something like that. Now, I have no intention of putting preaching religion at you. It's just something that's come along which I thought of. One of the favourite psalms of people, apart from the 23rd psalm, is Psalm 121. And when they're feeling low, they always want us to read this to them. And it starts with, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
On the very day that I thought about this talking to you, I was given a poem by somebody based on that, which I think is so appropriate for today's situation we find ourselves in. We may well ask this question, each one of us, and here might be an answer. Looking toward me as I lift up these eyes, looking toward me with faith, with hope, with love, is that too much to ask? Is that a prayer? My help comes in a window box, the shy defiance of a yellow daffodil on a street, the mauve wisteria showing off the discreet conversation of the trees. What must they say about us? The dance of every season, the dawn, the dusk, how they carry us. My help comes hidden inside PPE, from those who heal, those who protect deliver food from a distance, who call me on the phone across the street. Can you believe this? How's your day? My help comes from those who sit and listen when I no longer make sense, who wash me clean and break a broken blessing over me, who walk beside us when we die. They neither slumber nor sleep. No wonder they look exhausted. How they carry us. My help comes when I notice those who love me. I hold them tenderly in all this silence. The being held, the holding, the joy that runs deep, that cradles all the sorrow, all the loss, all this love of all this life. Oh, how they carry us. I lift up my eyes from this lockdown. Outside, I cover my face. My friends become danger. I become threat. Inside, these walls close in. This safety and this cage inside. We're too close and also a little distant. Inside, I'm alone. I'm scared. Outside, I step aside from you. Hold my breath as you pass. I lift up my eyes from this lockdown. I thought plagues were the tantrums of a petulant god we no longer believe in. So, why can't I see my parents? can't hold my grandchildren, except on this screen that frees me as it catches me. I lift up my eyes. They are wet from my tears. Why wouldn't I break down? We had our differences, but what I said, it came out wrong. I have these regrets. My days slip through these dried out fingers, raw from washing, wet from tears. I lift up my eyes from this lockdown. From where will my help come? I, I don't know if I believe in you anymore. You don't make it easy. You don't have the strength to carry much belief. Is there someone who believes in me? Who might carry me? Hold me? Who might be present in ways I never knew? Who might even now be beside me? I hold them all, they hold me wherever I go. They go with me at my going out and my coming in, my end and my beginning, from this time forth forevermore. And even when I cannot catch another breath, still they breathe my life, that I may breathe easy again. I lift up my eyes, 
and find that my help comes from finding love is present against the odds and carries us. I lift up my eyes and see that love will keep our lives from this time forth forevermore. Words that I think from which we can find encouragement at this time. So until I speak to you again, keep those in mind and be thankful for all those people who show that love to us and show some in our own lives too. So until we meet again, God bless. Many thanks, Dusty. And again, apologies for the unavoidable background noise on the recording. OK, time for the last part of the news, and it's back to Margaret. And here's some good news for a change. Elation as metal-detecting man finds couple's missing wedding ring. A man with a metal detector saved the day after a husband's wedding ring flew from his finger and disappeared on a beach. Brian Gaynor had just left his house in Martham on Sunday afternoon, July the 11th, sorry, Saturday afternoon, July the 11th, when he got a phone call from a friend asking for a favour. A couple at the beach at Winterton, three and a half miles away, had lost one of their wedding rings and were desperate to find someone with a metal detector. Jenny and Max Kitston Crook from Norwich were celebrating a birthday with family and friends. Miss Kixton Cook said, I've got a four month old baby. I had asked my husband to shake the sand out of the buggy and as he did it, his ring flew off. They had both recently been on Slimming World programmes and had lost weight, she said, so the ring was loose. Her husband scrambled in the sand and was quickly followed by others in the group. All nine of us were looking for this ring, but we just couldn't find it, Mrs Kitson Cook said. At the nearby Dunes Cafe, where they'd hoped to find a metal detector, Mrs Kitson Cook was advised instead to join Winterton's Facebook page. Posting a plea for help, she wrote, My husband's lost his wedding ring in the sand. Does anyone at all have a metal detector we could either borrow or use your expertise to help find it? I'm really sorry to ask, but we'd like to have it back. A man who read the post contacted Mr Gaynor, who has been metal detecting for 35 years. On previous sweeps of beaches and fields, he has found Roman coins. Mr Gaynor said when he got to Winterton, he went up and down the beach and about five minutes later, his detector picked up something. He dug up the spot and there it was, the ring. Meanwhile, locals and day-trippers had gathered to watch the drama and when Mr Gaynor lifted the ring, the whole beach cheered, Mrs Kitston Cook said. I was so chuffed, Mr Gaynor said. There were tears in their eyes. I was so pleased I found the ring. Mrs Kitson Cook said she and her husband were elated. We asked him if we could do anything for him, but he declined, she added. Well, what a lovely story. Mystery woman leaves note reacting to town's blue house. During these times of doom and gloom, it's often said it's the smallest gestures that go the longest way to lift spirits. And for Norfolk homeowner Gary Wells, a note from a woman signing off simply as Alison really made his day. 
Mr. Wells was stunned when a card dropped onto his doormat telling him about how his bright blue house with baskets brimming with tumbling blooms was a real tonic that lifted her spirits every time she passed. The note said, I just wanted to say thank you for making your house such a pleasure to walk on drive past. It stands out in the terrace of houses and it's really beautiful. I love the blue colour and the pretty plants really contrast with the colour. It really brightens up the road and lifts me as I drive or walk past. Mr Wells said he would love to thank the lady for her act of kindness. He said, it's so humbling to read a card from a random stranger who appreciate the efforts I have made to the exterior of my property during these uncertain times and that my efforts have brought pleasure to her life. He added the house in Cliff Hill Galston, an old fisherman's cottage, was often used as a backdrop by tourists looking for a scenic snap. I tried to make my house look nice just for the general area, he said. The road itself is so beautiful, sometimes it's the challenge to make it look as nice as the others. I've no idea who the lady is, but it has really lifted me. There has been so much doom and gloom, so it's nice to be appreciated, and it's nice to make other people happy. Mr Wells, a former London travel agent, owns his own cleaning company, GW Extreme Clean. He has lived in the house for five years and said he loved Galston and the historic Cliff Hill area in particular. The street is known for its period character and charming homes, many with a fishing or maritime history and lookout views over the river and the sea. Dancing might not be allowed. From Carveries to Christmas parties, how eating out will change. Though the food and drink sector is reopening its doors to the public, it's certainly not back to business as usual. Here's a handful of ways it might change going forward. With people stuck at home, most cafes and restaurants ran takeaway and delivery services throughout lockdown. Though it may only have amounted to a fraction of usual trade, many regarded it as a success and are now sticking to the model alongside their traditional dine-in options. Pizza restaurateur Paul Williams of Oak Fired at Royal Oak in Beckles said, we've decided to keep our takeaways going. The first five weeks we totally respected the shutdown for our own safety and that of our friends and family. But we took advice after that and were allowed to do takeaway. We had really good sales. Prior to lockdown in March, we could tell it was coming. So we did a promotion for takeaways and it's been very successful and we've grown our customer base. He said they had now turned a door off the main pub into a separate takeaway area with a collection booth put in place. Takeaways, of course, do bring their own issues. We asked 20 restaurants if they'd had any issues with delivery and one person said there was often a long wait for drivers while another said their dish had been delivered upside down. Another said one of their most popular dishes was crispy, but that delivery meant it ended up arriving soggy. Table service restaurants have had to introduce a host of new social distancing measures, 
but for more hands-on eateries, the changes have arguably been more significant. Kelly Taylor, marketing manager of Anglia Restaurants, which runs Castle Carvery, said they'd be working extremely hard to open their restaurants, which are in Norwich, Bowthorpe, Caister and Alton Broad. She said, typically you would go up and help yourself to everything, but we can't do that at the moment, so we have now got glass screens in front of the carvery. You still go up, but you are two metres away from the carvery. You tell the chefs exactly what you want on your plate and they will serve it all up for you. Nothing else has changed. She said feedback from diners had so far been positive, with hand sanitising stations on arrival, tables sanitised between visits, a one-way system, screens at tills and disposable venues. There could be dinner but no dancing at Christmas parties. Festive celebrations usually involve a meal, drinks and dancing with colleagues or loved ones, but social distancing may alter proceedings. Venues elsewhere across the country have reported cancellations of Christmas bookings, as companies err on the side of caution. For businesses in coastal or tourist areas, the rich pickings of the festive season can help them weather the quieter months that follow. Aileen Mobbs, who owns and runs the Imperial Hotel in Great Yarmouth with husband Nicholas, said they would usually have a New Year's Eve gala with 150 people, but that a question mark hung over the plans. We are assuming we will be allowed to do the dinner as long as the tables are socially distanced. But of course you can't measure out the dance floor, so we don't think dancing will be allowed. She said even organising entertainment proved problematic, as it stood, with indoor performances not allowed. Things aren't going to be the same, she said. People want to go out and celebrate, but a lot of people are frightened. It might be that guests' lists have to be capped. Until social distancing measures relax, large groups are unlikely to be able to dine together. Currently, guidelines say two households are allowed to meet indoors and up to six people can be outside together. Our fresco eating could boom. On the whole, restaurants and pubs with outdoor space have more easily been able to open and maintain social distancing. It has seen councils around the country shake up their road networks to squeeze in more space to allow businesses to reopen. In Norwich's St Benedict Street, plans have seen a large part of the road pedestrianised to provide more open space, but some have been left out. Richard Bainbridge at Benedict's has not been allowed outdoor space due to a crossing outside the restaurant. And Russell Evans of the Ten Bells on the Street said he would be handing back the keys to the pub after also missing out. Large chains may struggle. Often with larger overheads and less freedom to innovate branch to branch, some experts believe chain restaurants may struggle more than those in the independent sector. Big names including Bella Italia, Pizza Express and Byron are among those which have announced they are facing difficulties in recent weeks. 
Professor Joshua Bamfield at the Norwich-based Centre for Retail Research said, independent restaurants, with all things being equal, are perhaps slicker and it's easier for them to change. He said it appeared most of the larger chains were continuing on with their current approach until the post-COVID storm has weathered, but said if any decided to dramatically change their operations, they may have advantages which would enable them to do so more quickly. Sarah Daniels, chairman of Proudly Norfolk, a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to promoting Norfolk food and drink, said many of its members were finding complying with guidelines tough. But she said those in the organisation were learning from each other and added, Another huge benefit is that the members have loyal customers. They know their customers and customers know the business. Therefore, there is an understanding of customer behaviour and communication is much easier. And more than one member I've spoken to has customers helping in the policing of the on-site rules. She said it was key that customers stayed loyal to local businesses. Norfolk Horse Sanctuary to reopen in time for Norfolk Day. A much-loved horse sanctuary is set to reopen its centres for the first time in three months. Red Wings Horse Sanctuary at Caldicott Hall near Great Yarmouth will become the first of the charity centres to open on Saturday, July the 25th to coincide with this year's Norfolk Day celebrations. Lynn Cutress, Red Wing's chief executive, said, Having to close our doors to visitors, while the right thing to do at the time, significantly impacted on our ability to fundraise, a devastating blow for a charity that is 100% funded by donations from the public. Our centres provide valuable outdoor space to enjoy time with the whole family. We and our four-legged friends can't wait to welcome you back. All visitors must book a time slot through Red Wings for their arrival to ensure of people that the centres remain at a safe level. Hundreds of static caravans set for approval amid summer of social distancing. Two bids to bring hundreds of static caravans to the fringes of two villages are set to win planning approval. The Wild Duck Holiday Park and Caldicott Hall in the Belton Fritton area near Great Yarmouth both want to add new units. In total, the two applications will see 207 holiday homes added to the rural area, drawing concerns from residents. But while locals worry about traffic, drainage, pressure on services and the effects on wildlife, Great Yarmouth Borough Council says the plans will be a boost. At the Wild Duck, its owners, Born Leisure, are proposing a three-part expansion plan to add 50 static caravans and 10 safari tents. The units would be sited on land currently occupied by its 108 pitch touring caravan and tent area, which would be moved to part of the golf course at Caldicott Hall. The final part involves using part of a county wildlife site at Belton Common as a fairway and green to replace holes lost at the golf course for the touring park. 
Concerns have been raised about noise and traffic and also about stray balls near a scout hut. Parish councils at Fitton and St Olives and Belton and Browston have both objected. The Broads Authority has voiced concerns about the large scale of the development and cumulative impact, as well as the close spacing of the units. Despite the concerns, officers are recommending approval at this time of economic hardship. Meanwhile, Caldicott Hall wants to use a former golf driving range for 157 static caravans which would be owned as holiday homes. The bid from Tingdean is due to create five full-time jobs. Opponents say the units would add to traffic on the busy A143 and spoil the tranquillity of the broads. The papers, however, say it could harness the benefits of a likely boost in staycations in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Well, that's the end of my recording for this session. I hope you've enjoyed the contributions from Dusty, Margaret and Julie. And I'll finish on a high. <coughs> Last week I had my hair cut and I also visited my chiropodist. Oh, bliss and joy. <laughs> anyway, looking forward to being with you next time. So until we meet again, goodbye, take care and keep safe. Well, that's just about it for what's been a feature-packed edition. Sincere thanks to our guests, Margaret, Julie and Dusty. Grapevine, Volume 40, Number 29, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. Content in the main is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Well, from Margaret and myself, it's bye for now. Disney will be back next week when we hope you'll join us. Keep well and keep safe. Bye for now.